Well, hey there, hi there, ho there. As you can see, it's solo night for me. I don't have a Carrie Gorgon. She's, I don't even know where she is. She's off. She's doing a thing. Things are being done, uh, but I'm not doing them. So welcome. Welcome to the Backpack Show. Glad to have you here. Today, we've got education. We're going to learn a little bit. We're going to learn from Hannah Perry, who has the giggling pig. And so she's a, an education professional talking about development uh, she won the Entre Entrepreneur of the Year Award. Um, she's had multiple Stevie Award-winning art studio for children and all that sort of a thing. We're going to talk about teen entrepreneurship with Hannah. And we have Kevin Cummings, who's the executive director of New York City uh, uh, of his project. And we're going to talk about his education projects, his nonprofit uh, process. And also, he's another Oliver Scholar. So everyone feel for me, feel sad for me right away that I'm going to push all the buttons and do all the things. I mean, who knows what I'm going to get wrong today. Welcome to the Backpack Show with your host, Chris Brogan and Carrie Gargone. Boom shakalaka. And right off the bat, it's just me. I'm going to have to figure it all out for us today. So welcome, everybody. So glad you're here. Thanks for coming to the Backpack Show. I am so grateful that you're here. If I'm looking in all directions, it's because I'm doing all the things that I forget that Carrie does. So I am going to start with our guest, Hannah Perry, and we're going to drag her out here. And we'll start to ask all kinds of the questions about the whole land of education and all that. So, Kevin, that means you get like 10 whole extra minutes. All right. Hannah, welcome to the Backpack Show. So glad to have you on. Thank you, Chris. Hey, Leslie. Good to see you. Good to have you on. So let's start at the very beginning. So you you do uh, childhood education. You're doing development and all that. Lots of awards. Let's talk just a wee bit about the Giggling Pig. What's what's going on with this company and what, what does it bring to people? The Giggling Pig, um, so we're an art studio. I have an art studio here in Connecticut. I'm recently franchised, so I have so we have another one up near, near New York in Bethel. Um, we cater to children of all ages and also adults. Um, but everything we do is art-based, and we are really bringing kids together and helping them to make friends within the studio while educating them on art. Now... As everyone knows, last year was an incredible time to run an art studio. Last year was a perfect time. All kinds of people not coming in, so you didn't have to clean up nearly as often. Uh, how did you survive the apocalypse? Um, we did, you know, first of all, we pivoted overnight. And luckily for us, we actually had already started the process of wanting to do online classes. So when, um, you know, it did happen, the pandemic, we just kind of quickly decided, okay, it's now or never, we need to do this to survive. So we started to online classes free for kids on Facebook to start with. And then we started to sell our art kits um, as a way to, to make money and survive from that. The art kits looked pretty interesting. I was, I was kind of poking through your, your site and as I landed on those art boxes, they, they're a really nice design and all that. Now, we it's it's reasonable to expect that as somebody who runs an art, I just realized that I'm looking at a different screen than everybody because the box popped up. Uh, it's reasonable to assume that artists could design a nice box, but package design isn't like its own, you know, it's, it's a process. Did you put these packages together or, or, or how did that come to, about to design these boxes? 
Well, I design all my characters and the characters are a huge part of the brand. So I, you know, I designed all of that and then I gave it to my graphic designer, um, Carrie, and she was the one that kind of said, okay, this color should go here and, and this should go here. So she's kind of uh, the genius behind the layout. Nice. I'm very lucky. <laughs> Yoga Pig Art Box. That is a delightful name. So... <laughs> Talk a little bit about that. Talk a little bit about, for me, if you don't mind, the different uh, people that you're uh, putting into these stories, the characters. What do they mean? And, and do they have function and value in art therapy? Or are they just, we needed some characters, so here's some characters? Well, I really wanted the studio to have to be more than just an art studio. I wanted there to be something where kids could really feel excited. And I felt like having these characters... Um, that kids could relate to um, was really, really important. So it's kind of like that added value. If they find a character that they really like and, and relate to, then they want the box and they want all the things that go with it. Um, so we didn't need to do characters. I just really wanted to. So there's all kinds of different boxes. These are just a few of the characters. I have 11 characters in total. Um, and they all have something very unique about them. And I really wanted it to be so that kids could feel um, included and feel noticed and that they could relate to a character. I do like your cute kitty acrylic box here. There's there's definitely kind of a depth to some of these different styles and art. Uh, yeah. As this is getting you know rolled out, like you said, you had to kind of overnight redesign your business. As this gets rolled out to different places and as you have to start uh, looking at this as you know school programs and that sort of a thing, how do those conversations go? What's the what's the experience like when you're uh, bringing this to people and convincing them that this is something new that they should be bringing into their their uh, ecosystem? Well, during um, the pandemic and when the schools went back to school, and we are we're usually in about a dozen schools doing after school enrichment, so of course we couldn't offer that anymore. So it was nice to be able to say, you know, there. Art is so important to kids, especially during the pandemic. It was even more important, I feel. And it really brought families together. So we were able to display that to the schools and say, look, this is what happened when you were all on lockdown and we couldn't get into the schools. And so how about offering parent and child events at home um, on, on the screen, but by having the families work together to create a project together. And the schools really took to it the families took to it and it was a wonderful outcome. So we're very fortunate. Part of this goes even deeper. And for instance, uh, dealing, helping kids out with special needs. What, what, what do you do for that in your process and, and how do people and parents get involved in that sort of process? Well, you know, first of all, art is such a valuable thing um, for anybody. But one of my favorite things about art is that there's no wrong way and right way of creating it. So for a child that might not see the world the same as, you know, somebody else, um, it's such a great thing for them to be involved in because they can't go wrong. They don't have to explain themselves with words. They can just create. And for families with children um, with special needs, they really appreciate that part of it. I've worked, I worked as a nanny for 10 years in America with children with special needs, and I always found that art was just so therapeutic and so rewarding to them. Um, but mostly families really understand that, uh, that aspect of it. Is art camp, uh, coming on again this, uh, this season or what's going on? We in the already summer? started. We're in week three. 
um, wow. and it's incredibly busy. So it's almost like all the kids, last year we had massive restrictions on how many children we were allowed to have. This year it's pretty much back to normal apart from the masks. So the kids are loving it. They're loving being back with their friends in a, in a classroom, you know, painting and splattering. And today we were working with clay. So it's great to be back at camp again. I'm sitting here trying to poke at this particular graphic to make it go bigger, but it didn't go bigger. But I really like your, uh, it appeared to me to be Frida Kahlo, maybe yeah. with the Superman logo. She's my so. favorite. She's on my, um, my coffee mug too. <laughs> She's That's awesome. perfect. Yeah. Pardon me while I choke and die. Um, uh, let's see. So Kate says, I so want to go to camp. So Kate would be a, a great addition to this camp. Another thing that we could talk about is, you know, development of cultural awareness. I mean, there's so much uh, that, that comes in with art that people can learn about spaces that aren't their typical space and they can learn about people that aren't their neighbor and that sort of a thing. What are you doing in that angle? We actually have several weeks during camp that, that educate the kids um, without making them feel that they're coming to school. Um, on different cultures, we have time travelers, so a week where we teach them about different countries, different cultures, um, and really, really explore the different types of art. Uh, one of my teachers is actually working at Sacred Heart, teaching classes to the kids there about different artists from around the world. And she does that all through summer. So we really, we really, you know, deep dive deep into every aspect of art. We're not just teaching them one thing. We make sure that they get a really good spectrum of, um, you know, broad spectrum of, of different artists, different mediums, different um, opportunities for them. So we think of it all. Absolutely. Um, one question I have is that, there's, there's a sense of some of this is packaged and then there's a sense that sometimes people want to go a little bit free form. Uh, you talk also about, you know, the importance of entrepreneurship and, mm -hmm. and how art relates and all that. How do you weave business in around the art of uh, the, the business of art? Well, I'm an entrepreneur and I am not, you know, I'm not a professionally trained artist, but I um, I'm very, very passionate and I, published a couple of children's books. And so what I do at the studio is I hold a week of summer camp every year where we actually give the children an opportunity to create their own book and publish it on Amazon. So I really make sure that kids know that they can really, if they wanna be an artist, that's a great thing. They can change the world, they can make it a better place. And, and here are some examples of how I've done it. You know, I make art boxes and keychains and apparel and you know I publish some books and so I show them how to do it and that it isn't impossible um, and and that's one of our most popular classes every year and we also offer it throughout the school year too. Very cool. Kate wants to know if you use a mentor. If I have a mentor? Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of people that I look up to a lot. I reach out to people all the time when I'm struggling with, uh, you know, figuring parts out a bit in business, but I don't have a specific one person. Does Kate want to be my mentor? Maybe she wants to be your mentor. I don't know. I, I like our robots here. So I'm looking through some of the Instagram and we have a whole collection of robots. <laughs> so that's fun. What's the, what's the process go into? I mean, besides explaining, here's the body types, because I see that some have like very specific buttons. A lot of them have a heart. Because I guess it's important that robots have hearts. What do we What do we do to kind of 
get the process going and what's the blend between giving them the, the, the ideas and the material versus sort of letting them, you know, create their own destiny and draw their own thing? Well, that's a good question because we, we're not like a typical, um, we do offer classes that are step-by-step -step classes. Like this is how you draw this, let's do this together. But then we right. also don't tend to hold a picture up in the front of class because I don't want the kids to feel like they're trying to achieve the same image that we are doing. So we talk to them about shapes. Um, sometimes we show photographs like of the cows, real photographs. Um, so that way, um, and actually it's a conversation as well. We're constantly having a conversation with the kids. Like, um, you know, if your neighbor's doing, someone's that next to you is doing a different picture, that's great. We are all listening to the same instructions, but we, nobody's going to paint the same picture or draw it the same way. And that's what's so wonderful. So we're always having the conversation so that they're not expecting to do the same thing as the person next to them. And we encourage the kids to always, you know, point out things that they love about somebody else's work and that's really important because we we're always having a conversation about kindness and friendship in the studio so this is a question from elizabeth so not art technique but also art history how do you relate to kids that are not especially good at art uh, awesomeness on teaching kids on how to publish books thank you um well i would say that all kids are actually really great at art i think i think that naturally children are just really good at you know, drawing, it's kind of us that criticize. So the older we get, we become more critical on the way we're doing things. If you see a three-year-old and they draw a picture of a cow and it looks nothing like a cow, they're like, look at my cow, it's amazing. And to them it is until they get a little bit older and then they start to say, well, mine doesn't look like this. And so I think all kids are really naturally um, very artistic and we should, we should encourage that more. And so instead of pointing out what's wrong, um, you know, point out the wonderful way that they've, you know, created their, their image and not, there's one thing I never do is say, what's that? So when a child's painted um, a picture or drawn me a picture, I don't say, oh, what is that? Because that might hurt their feelings if I don't obviously know what it is. So I'll right. say, tell me about your picture. I love it. And then they explain their picture to me. Um, and then we celebrate. It's wonderful. <laughs> the best way to do it i had noticed yeah. in the instagram the uh among us you know video game art that it snuck in and all that it must be an interesting <laughs> back and forth between uh art that is uh commercial and other people's uh, materials and all that and having to explain let's also look at some other things that aren't that and that right. kind of experience yeah that's um, kind of an image that the kids wanted to do this summer so we we did sneak it in there <laughs> it's fun though i mean it's great and Pretty sure the software people aren't going to go out and fight everybody. So, uh, Kate has another question. Do you take vacations? And if so, where to? Do I take vacations? Well, she doesn't Kate. mean me. I don't go anywhere. I haven't been on vacation for a couple of years, but my I go to see my family in England and I have family in Thailand. So I visit Thailand. I've only been twice. Oh. Thailand and England are my go to. I can't Those wait. Are to two pretty good go tos, though. Yeah. Huh? All right. So, Scott says, Coach Scott Woodard says, that's great to encourage the kids. Everyone has their own interpretation of art. So that's great. Um, so we are uh, at the end of our little segment. So I'm going to boop you backstage and uh, give you a chance to take a little break and grab my friend Kevin. But then I'm going to do some ad reads in between. Hannah, stick around. I've got some more questions for you. So don't go too far. Um, everybody, thank you so much for making your way through this all. Hey, want a show just like this? Whack. 
StreamYard. You can get a StreamYard and set this up. It's not that hard. Look at me running the show without Carrie. I'm not panicking. Ha <laughs> ha I forgot to eat an edible. Seabrogan.me slash StreamYard. You could have a show just like this one, only better. But get your own artist and your own nonprofit guy. Hey, do you hate uh, my face but love the show? You can get this podcast anywhere they make podcasts. Thanks to Castos.com, our hosts. They're great and they have peas. Want a .online domain? You can get one. Seabrogan.me slash online. Use the code Chris. You can get a domain, a .online domain for one buckaroo. So gigglingpig.online, pigface.online, mrkevin.online. You can have one. This show is sponsored by Intercultural Spark, which is a show that comes live at 10 a.m. on uh, th Thursdays, Central Time, 10 a.m. Uh, Deanna Shoss has a show where she does interviews with interesting guests, all kinds of ideas, a lot of DE and I conversations, a lot of fitness and health conversations, pretty fun stuff. Hey, want to try a um, search engine that's not the Googles? I've been using presearch.com for several months. It is a very good search engine, but also has some extra things. While you're searching there, if you log in, you can earn crypto coins. Those coins can then allow you to own the rights to represent and promote various different platforms. Presearch.com. I think I did all my ads. I'm grabbing my man Kevin Cummings because that's how this show works. Kevin, hey, welcome to the Backpack Show. How are you? I'm pretty good, Chris. How are you? I am the darned bestest. Um, so you are helping out with nonprofit practice. You are the managing director of the New York City uh, part of that. You've done some work with New York City government, including uh, working in the mayor's office, uh, helping out with uh, fund to advance the city and all that sort of a thing. Talk to me a little bit about what you're doing day to day. It sounds like 800 jobs is what I read when I read the stuff you're working on. What's going on for you? Yeah, so um, as you said, I'm the executive director in New York um, for the Institute for Nonprofit Practice, which is new to New York City, but um, has actually been uh, doing work for, for about 14 years, since 2007, um, founded in uh, Boston, Massachusetts. Um, what I would say from day to day, you know, we're working to equip uh, the most promising social impact leaders with the skills, the resources, the networks, the confidence they need to boldly advance their organizations and missions um, and create a more equitable future for all. Um, I would say at the highest level, we're a racial equity organization, um, working to change the face of leadership in the social sector. And, and that's been our, the work we've been doing since I said 2007. So we haven't had to pivot to, uh, to focusing on diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging. We have over 1,600 alumni who've been helping us to advance that work um, in the New England region and now the New York region and seeing the grow across the country. So you've been there all along. It's been it's been I, a thing since '07. Not you, but I mean the the since '07. Yes, yes. That's what the 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 drive of the uh, nonprofit institute, uh, nonprofitpractice.org is that. So uh, their their Twitter handle is Institute MP, and then if we want to talk to you directly, we can go to K Cummings NYC and connect up. Um, Absolutely. So you've done all kinds of things. You do you worked with over 120 different agencies and nonprofits, made up over 140, I'm sorry, over 40 million in cash resources. You've also facilitated all kinds of initiatives uh, through a bunch of different administrations. How did this all start for you? Where did you get involved in all this? Yeah, you know, honestly, uh, the beginning, uh, I won't take you to my, my birth in the hospital. I'll, I'll take you to some point forward of that. Um, but what I will say is, um, I had the opportunity, I'm born and bred New Yorker, uh, raised in Brooklyn, New York, and Crown Heights, New York, if folks are familiar. 
And um, I had the opportunity um, to, to not only have really great teachers through elementary school and middle school, but really an opportunity that uh, allowed me to um, uh, go to independent school um, through the Oliver Scholars Program. And really it was that uh, leverage point that actually exposed me to um, issues of equity, et cetera, and really put me in a position, honestly, at that time where I wanted to be, I wanted to figure out how I could leverage my privilege to help my community. And so since that time, I have intentionally put myself in position to uh, be able to improve the quality of life of communities where I'm working. Do you want to talk? So we we had the Oliver Scholars people on uh, a handful of weeks ago, and then we've over this last little time had our, uh, another mutual friend come on. Can you talk a little bit about what that program meant to you and what you were able to do because of it? Because it seems like it's a really great launching for people who are interested in doing important nonprofit type work, for instance. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 you know, interesting for me, or probably the same for everyone, like the story connects to what I do now. So, you know, I mentioned the fact that I'm working with leaders now and providing them with the confidence to be able to, um, the confidence the networks to be able to improve their communities. I think Oliver, for me, um, gave me an opportunity to learn my own agency. It, 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 it empowered me, which is what that means. Um, it empowered me to be able to know that I could, I had something to offer to my community. And I think that, you know, for a 14 year old kid uh, or a 13 year old kid um, to be able to know that one, excuse me, at least at that time, uh, there are adults who are looking to support their education and support their growth, um, particularly into what was for me a new space that no one around me knew. Um, I went to, to boarding school in New Hampshire, as I said, um, being able to have that type of opportunity and to have support built the confidence that allowed me to continue to scaffold on top of that. You know, the best metaphor I can think of uh, is maybe learning to ice skate. And I actually saw a picture of a friend of mine, his kid, who was holding like construction cones um, while they were trying to learn to skate. And, and the fact is that kid's going to tell a story about the fact that they went, that they ice skated. And maybe we would say, no, you and some construction cones were ice skating. But the fact that they have that confidence and that it can build means that at some point that child is going to get on the ice and start hitting slap shots and checking people, right? Like they're going to grow <laughs> into some, a confident, a confident skater. And I think, you know, uh, I think Oliver probably did take me ice skating, but what I would say is that they gave me a lot of support um, and a lot of uh, really early experiences at recognizing my impact and the fact that I had agency and voice and could belong somewhere um, in a way that uh, enabled me to build on top of that and really make that my life's work, which is, you know, right now at IMP, instead of kids, we're working with leaders to do the same thing, make sure that they recognize their agency and, and raise the voices of the communities that they work with. Can you, can you give me just a bite of that? What does that feel like? So we, you have the three different programs in there, the course certificate program and, and, and then such. Mm -hmm. Along the way, what's the what's the conversation, both in the room, what's the hallway like? What do you say to people you know, to kind of help get their vision going? I'm, I'm very fascinated in these moments where people feel like they didn't necessarily have an opportunity. They didn't do the Oliver Scholar program like you, so they didn't go to boarding school and all that. They, may, they maybe have a, a slightly different uh, starting point how do you get them started envisioning a different experience for themselves, a different value for themselves? You mean a young person? Sure. Or your leaders at any level. I mean, sometimes oh, these oh, people yeah. are leaders just by the nature of, you know, they've, they've been thrust into an experience where they're, they're just kind of stamping the cards, but maybe they're also, you know, you have to guide them to understand for them to yeah. understand how to shape their, their world a little more. Yeah. I'll, I'll start with the leaders who work at the IMP. So I, I would say that most of them, most of the leaders that we speak to are actually looking for resources to grow and looking for space to do so. 
as, as we can imagine, there's so many challenges, particularly for um, individuals who identify as Black, Indigenous, people of color, and, and women as well, where they can't, um, they may not be able to ask the questions they need to ask because it opens them up, makes them vulnerable, and maybe even in a threatening way that they don't want to look like they don't know, or that there's some imposter syndrome that they're experiencing, which I've experienced myself as a professional. And you know, often we think that uh, imposter syndrome looks like paralysis. It doesn't always look like that. There are people who can perform, but they're not comfortable. And so right. when, we, when we speak to leaders, um, one, we want to make sure that as, as leaders are transitioning, that they have a bench, of, a bench that looks diverse. And this happens in the business community. So this is actually not, this is something we're borrowing. Um, in the business community, they invest in their leaders. I think they, the, uh, McKinsey had a study that said, uh, for every five dollars you spend in in a, in a private sector, one dollar spent in the nonprofit sector developing a leader. And what that means is that when there's leadership transition, the folks on the bench are not ready. Um, they're not prepared and they're not diverse. And so for us, we want to make sure that we're empowering leaders to one say you can grow into leadership. Two, you know, in a very holistic way, we want to make sure that that leadership looks like the communities that it serve that that it's, that are being served. Um, and three, we want to make sure that we're providing what we call a brave space that allows leaders to lift while they're climbing, to really build themselves while they're building other people. Um, that's, that, that community helps us to change the sector. Um, and why we want to change the sector is because it's going to impact the communities that you and I live in. And we want to make sure that those leaders are strong and they're prepared. How does that manifest out on, out on the, the neighborhoods? How do, you, how do you make the leaders understand that their voice at this event is going to be much bit more beneficial than if they're not there. And if they don't come to this kind of town meeting, you know, there's a lot of people who are just, they're done. They're fed up. They've, they've given up. So you've got to help unsurrender some people, I guess, on the way to this too, don't you? Yeah. So I, and so like, yeah, that, during my time working in uh, city government. Yeah. Yeah. If you're asking about that. So what, what I would say to that is I think um, <laughs> probably speaking about New York city, but this might work for any big city. I think, um, it's always a point of distance for them to find uh, individuals working city government who actually um, are committed and care. And that's actually the bulk of the workers that are in city government, but often we are representing, uh, or city workers are representing a bureaucracy that folks see the system before they see the actual uh, people. And so I think uh, when, we do when you're doing town halls, I think the important element, and again, I'm not a mayor or anything, but um, I think the important element is that folks recognize that they have a space to share things. Um, even for the leaders that are in our program, if you don't create um, a space, a forum for people to have conversations and those that information gets put into the wrong place, they take it somewhere else and it ends up working. It, it ends up not working towards the good often. So uh, I think creating forums um, for individuals to have discourse is important. Forums like this, uh, different types of forums with different types of discourse. And I would say that IMP is one example of creating space for leaders who are looking to advance diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging. Um, I would say that uh, in a municipality, creating these types of, uh, as you said, town halls, et cetera, are critically important to ensuring that the government is working for the people that it serves, right? That is, that is its responsibility and purpose. Um, almost everyone, I was paid with tax levy dollars, so I took it very seriously about the fact that um, someone was enabling me to, to do work and I would have to be working on their behalf. And I think that that's the multitude of the folks that I came across that worked in uh, city service. So in, in, back to the IMP, uh, there's a lot in the general management uh, for the fellows program, for instance. There's a whole lot of things that you're looking to do, teaching people, uh, you know, financial planning, to people, uh, how to secure and manage organizational resources, how to help people understand and deal with differences and all that. 
where do you mm -hmm. is are there levels to these kinds of programs can people go through more than once i have this weird feeling like if i went through that process once uh i might have to go back again once i had a chance to go test drive it out on the street or something does that make any sense to you that, that that's well said I, you know i think i often say that the, the word practice is, is very active in our name and so what that means is that um Many people come to us at different levels. We have executives who've been executives for 10, 15 years who want to come to our program because they want to make sure that they're getting, they have a space to be able to not only sanity check some of the things that they're doing, but learn different uh, processes and bounce those off other professionals. Um, what I would say is that, yes, I think folks would want to, um, in New York, our program is fairly new. So we haven't had, we haven't been here long enough to have that continuation yet, but we will, I'm sure. But um, for folks, for leaders that are at different levels, being able to have different conversations is actually really important. So as an example, you know, going through the pandemic right now has been something that leaders were not, we weren't, the word pandemic wasn't in our vernacular three years ago, at least it wasn't in mine, right? And we know that, um, not to be negative, I'm not saying this in a negative way, but we know that there's gonna be another challenge coming um, that we're gonna need to be prepared for, and, but we don't know what it is. And so for a person who's new, who's, who's earlier on in their career and is focused on program delivery maybe and really direct service, that's gonna be, a specific set of needs that are very timely that they need to have, right? A year ago, many folks who were in direct service were literally thinking about how they were gonna provide service they, that, because they couldn't do it face-to-face -face anymore. Whereas <clears throat> if you looked at a leader last year, this is just from my experience in speaking to executives, many of them before the pandemic were asking, who should I have on my board? And then they were asking, what should my board be doing? Those are two different questions, two different times. And right now, I know that um, there are many folks who are going to be transitioning back to being in person, but there's a lot of uh, needs that have come up, maybe reawakenings, if you will, uh, realizations over the last year that we've had as a country that funding is going towards. And many leaders are saying, we know we're going to get the funding now. We need to be prepared for that. That's a different conversation. So I think it is critically important. I think people at different times, we, we probably had, you know, in dog years, we probably had 15 of them in the last two, two years. There's just been so many different snapshots of flashbulb moments of time uh, that has been critical for leaders, at least in our program, to be able to have these space to have these conversations. But I know over time, being able to practice these things, as you said, take on frameworks, put them into practice, come back, is going to be critically important. I'm going to ask one last question, then I'm going to bring back Hannah. Uh, Kevin, where are you heading after this? I feel like you have this very large ramp in, in your mind of where you're heading. And I'm just curious, can you give us a sneak peek? A sneak peek of where I'm heading. I was going to say I'm going to Disney World, but they didn't. They didn't uh, give us any plugs here. Um, you know, that, that's a good. Uh, it's a good question. I think right now uh, my focus has been on assuring that you know I'm helping to either meet needs or help leaders to meet needs, and that's been sort of like my personal opportunity to scale. So I, I do see myself being able to lead an organization um, that's impacting <clears throat> both uh, quality of life in a very immediate way and policy too. I've been, I've had a place to, I had an opportunity to kind of stand in both spaces, sometimes simultaneously. Um, and sometimes for lack of a better word, kind of just lack of a better term, just trying to figure out what I wanted to do because I was interested in all these different things, education, uh, uh, disaster preparedness at a time, all these different things. So, so for me, I, I definitely think it's going to be straddling sort of direct service and, and policy. I was just curious, I, you know, it sounds like between your nonprofit work, your public work and all that, it's going to be pretty hard to try to lure you off into dirty capitalism. So I, just <laughs> had, that, I had that sense that you, you're not going to you know, suddenly have a franchise empire or something. No, no, no. 
I get you. Not All yet. Right, not, me, not, not yet. So thank you. Not, not yet. But it's good to know. Kevin Cummings, thanks so much for coming on the show. Let me grab Hannah so we have all of us on here. Hey, Hannah. Hey. I, I feel for you because holy this weather. Uh, and and by the way, I don't know if you watched any of our chat rolling by, but it's all people talking about the weather as well as the conversation. So it's, it went from 98 to 75. It's uh, That's Texas reporting in. Meanwhile, up here in the Northeast, we're reporting our 90-plus days. Uh, because don't worry, there's no such thing as global warming. Totally nothing. Um, <laughs> Hannah, uh, art in situations of public uh, conversation and community. One of the things IMP does is storytelling and teaching the vital importance of storytelling for leadership. To me, art's that. So how do you teach your young leaders to become Kevin's older leaders through art? Oh, that is a good question. How do I teach them to be leaders? Well, I would say teaching them to be a leader is teaching them to be have a vision of the future. Um, having a, you know, discussing vision, discussing, you know, you can do that through what work really easily, actually, asking them to create something of what they would like in the future. We do create vision boards. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, discussing what we would like the future to look like or even something much smaller and, and more, um, you know, immediate, like, how would you like this to go or that to go within the week? Um, and then teaching them that they have a voice and an opinion that, that matters and, and deserves to be heard um, is very important some, you know, to be teaching children. Kevin, I was going through the core processes over at IMP. I, I didn't see the art one. Um, did, did we miss that? Did the leaders need an art uh, leg in this process as well? Um, so we actually you won't see it uh, out right there, but we actually invite leaders um, representing many different impact areas. And art, arts is actually one that we want to make sure that we invite leaders from. As, as you correctly said, um, art is, plays an important role in documenting our history um, and documenting our experience. And we want to make sure that those leaders, too, particularly as we talk about diversity and equity and inclusion and belonging, art, art sits at the, the nexus of that. Um, and so we want to make sure we have them represented. So there I was just being funny, but you're right, and you already have it there. Um, we did have uh, last week or the week before, we had Mighty Mark on, who's a Baltimore area club DJ, and he's in a new documentary on uh, Netflix called Dark City and talking about the Baltimore uh, club music scene with this other person named TT the Artist. And Mighty Mark uh, sits on a board of uh, law, prof law professionals uh, dealing with music and whatnot, specifically like street-level music, club music, uh, specifically in Maryland, he's the only non-lawyer on the board. So it's to your point, you know, it's the arts have to show up. They have to be there for it. Well, listen, we're Absolutely. at the part of the show. We've got to do two last things. And one of them is our person of the day. Oh, and here's our person of the day. Kaboom. Now, how am I ever going to pick that when I have so many really awesome weather conversations? But I'll tell you, the one that stuck with my head earlier is when Kate said she wanted to go to camp. So, Kate, you're our person of the day today. Besides, it's the next to last day of Pride, so you deserve an extra person of the day. That's that. We have one question we've asked every guest who's ever been on the show, which is what goes in your backpack. This could be something physical. It could be something metaphorical. Uh, we had um, a book you hate was a physical one from Whiskey Nate. He said that if you know you bring a book that you hate with you everywhere, you might find some things you like about it. You might connect with the book in some way. Uh, one of the people on the show, when asked for something metaphorical, she said kindness. 
And who's going to say anything bad about kindness? So Hannah Perry, what do you want to add to the backpack today for helping people with their success in the next coming years? I would say to add self-motivation and determination um, and also a bottle of white wine. I like it. I'm a red wine guy, but I'm, I'm with you the whole rest of the way there. Kevin Cummings, the New York Executive Director of the Institute for Nonprofit Practice. Let's get that straight. Um, what are we going to add to the backpack today, sir? Yeah, so I'm going to say uh, paper and pen. Uh, it allows you to, to be creative, but to also distract yourself if you need to. Um, and a bottle of water, because in this heat, you got to stay hydrated. Good Lordy, we need to stay hydrated, don't we? Uh, it's the old paper and pen. I'm always a big fan of that, that answer anyway. Been in the lab with a pen and a pad. Um, this mm. has been a killer. I, I, I stick lyrics into every single episode. I can't not do it. So thank you for getting my little lyric there, Kevin. Um, <laughs> one, one thing I was thinking about is that, you know, Hannah made a really good point of teaching the students not to say bad things about people's artwork. Because some people, I mean, uh, my mom, for, for instance, can't exactly draw a stick person. In fact, there, there was a time... Uh, my mom tried her really best. We were doing one of those Pictionary type games. And uh, the thing she had to draw was a dinosaur. And I'll tell you, it didn't exactly look like a dinosaur. It looked like a, 